Good morning. Good morning, Horizon. Good to see you here this morning on this fine Father's Day. We're in our third week on our series, Keeping the Fire, How to Keep the Spiritual Fire Burning in Our Lives. And if you've missed the last couple of weeks, here's where uh, kind of we're going with this series. It's this idea that in the temple, the priests were required to keep the fire burning, both on the altar and on the lampstands inside the holy place. In Leviticus 6, it says, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. And so we're talking about how if that, that was true in the old temple, and we are the new temple, and God wants that fire continuously burning in our lives, in our hearts, but it requires that we participate in that, that we function as the priests, if you will, in our own lives, adding fuel to the fire and, and keeping the heat on the fire. And that's where we've been the last few weeks. What does a fire need to burn? Well, an actual physical fire needs fuel, it needs heat, and it needs oxygen. And we're adding one more in this series, fuel, heat, oxygen, and an offering for that spiritual fire in our lives to keep burning bright. And so week one, what kind of fuel do we throw on the fire? Well, we get into God's word. We get into scripture, and that's fuel. It's food for our soul. And we encounter Jesus. We spend time with him. We pray to him. We, that becomes fuel for our soul. And then Jesus himself, when he was interacting with the woman at the well, he, he told his disciples, I have food that you know nothing about. It's to do the will of my Father. And so obedience becomes fuel for the fire. And last week, Ryan did a great job of talking about heat. This idea that as a community and as Christians, we're like these hot coals, and even if our individual fire goes out or starts to dwindle, we just need to get around other hot coals. We need those coals to be stirred up for that flame to kind of kick back into our lives. And he talked about Hebrews 10 that says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and do not give up meeting together, and encourage one another. These are the, the ways that we keep the heat close to the coal in our life, right? We keep the fire burning in our life. And this morning, we're going to talk about the third thing, which is oxygen. Now, when you think about oxygen, right, the fires need oxygen to burn. In fact, the number one way to put out a fire is to cut off its oxygen source. I don't know if some of you remember, uh, maybe I'm dating myself here, but in the Gulf War, there was this thing where they would light the wells, the oil wells on fire, and there would be the fire shooting up from the oil wells. Does anyone remember that? And the way, okay, all three of you, the way, um, thank you for being up on the news in the 90s, um, the way that they, I mean, it's just this inferno, it's fuel, it's, it's, it's oil shooting up into the sky on fire. How do you put out a fire light? Like a, a, a water hose is not going to do it. And what they actually did is they would put explosives all around the very cap and they would blow it up. And you're thinking, okay, blowing up a fire doesn't seem like that's the right thing to do. But what it did was the explosion consumed all the oxygen. And the fire went out immediately. Fire can't burn without oxygen. And so all it was was, a, was oil shooting up into the air. And then they went in and capped the, the oil well. But if they got rid of the oxygen, they got rid of the fire. And that's true in our own lives. How many of you are this guy, right? There's a campfire. There's always one or two of them. 
Everyone's just chilling, having a good time. And then there's that guy. Raise your hand if you're, can you admit that you're that guy? Yeah, okay, we got that guy. All right, you walk up to the fire and you're like, the thing to do here is to put my face as close to the fire as I can toward the embers and then blow as hard as I can so that those embers then kick back on me and spread, you know, fumes that way to the person on the other side of the fire to get the fire burning again. There's always that guy in the group, right? He looks at it, he's like, you know, wood isn't going to do it. What this needs here is someone willing to take the risk of putting their face in the fire and, you know. But it's true. That's how you get a fire going again. It needs oxygen, right? I I love Discovery Channel, those survivor shows, and inevitably there's, you know, a person trying to do a bow drill. Do you guys know what a bow drill is? Where, like, it creates friction by kind of doing the bow back and forth on the wood. And basically it's these principles we're talking about, right? The fuel is a piece of wood on the bottom, And you get the friction moving fast enough that creates heat, and you get this tiny coal. And then they take that tiny coal that's now like smoking, and they add it to this thing that looks like a bird's nest. It's tinder. You know, it's more fuel. And what do they do next every single time, right? It's they're like gently blowing on this thing, you know, nursing it into life, and eventually it catches fire. It needs oxygen, by the way, this is a fun fact that I learned researching for this. You exhale 16% oxygen. Ever wonder why CPR works? You know, when you're young, you learn you breathe out carbon dioxide. That's true, but it's only 4% of what you breathe out. 16% of what you breathe out is oxygen, which is why CPR works. It's also why you can get your face near these coals and blow on the fire and it starts kicking up again. So in the spiritual life, in the life with Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is that oxygen In Scripture, it talks about the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit as the breath of God or the wind of God. We're going to have some fun this morning learning some new words. The first one in the Old Testament Hebrew is ruach. Can everyone say ruach? Ruach. Good. So if you accidentally almost spit on the person in front of you, that's, you're doing it right. And and a lot of times Hebrew was almost like, each word was almost like an onomatopoeia. Do you guys know what that is? Like the word sounds like the thing that it is. So, so ruah, if you notice ruach, it starts at the front of your mouth with the ru. And then you open your mouth wide. Ah, and it goes to the middle of your mouth. And then it goes all the way to the back of your throat. Ruach. I love that word. It means spirit, but it also means Wind. And it also means breath. So this was the beauty of the Hebrew language is that they would play with this word because it could mean all three things. It could mean spirit, it could mean breath, it could mean wind, and it could mean them all interchangeably and sometimes in the same passage. Everybody say ruach. ruach. That's the Old Testament word for spirit or wind or breath. In the New Testament, it's pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. Pneuma, actually in the Greek, it does the same thing. It means spirit, but it also means wind and breath. So Greek does the same play on words in that they use one word to mean three different things. It means the spirit, but it also means wind and breath, pneuma. So let's look at this. Very, we see this from the very beginning in Genesis. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God. Can you guys see the imagery there? was hovering over the waters. So before anything else here, what we have with God interacting with creation is we have the breath of God right from the beginning, the the wind of God, the ruach, the spirit of God hovering, waiting. 
And then the kind of famous passage where we learn about the breath of God or the Spirit of God is in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel the prophet, you know, Israel was in bad shape in exile, and Ezekiel the prophet was given this incredible vision where he's taken out to this valley, and all through the valley is nothing but dry bones and skeletons. And here's what happens. It says, then he said to me, then God said to him, Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath. I will make ruach. I will make spirit, wind. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, ruach in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Continuing in verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise and a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. So at this point, they're like zombies, right? There's these zombies in the valley now with skin covering them, but there was no ruach in them. There was no breath in them. There was no spirit in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Now, this is interesting. He's looking at this valley of zombies now that used to be valley of dry bones, And he doesn't say, speak to the zombies. He says, Ezekiel, come over here, and now I want you to speak to the Ruach. Go invite the Ruach to come. Go invite the wind, the breath of God, the Spirit of God to come. So now he's talking to the Ruach. He says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it. In the Hebrew, it doesn't say it there. It says, say to Ruach. He's speaking to the Spirit of God now. Go tell the Spirit of God. Speak to the Spirit of God. Speak to Ruach. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Come, breath. Come, Spirit. Come, Ruach. Come, wind of God. I invite you to come into these zombie people. Pretty awesome. Come from the four winds. And that word there is just the plural form of Ruach. It's ruchot. So it's the same word. You can see he's playing. They're playing with the word here. They're playing with the idea of the wind and the spirit and the breath of God. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain and they may, so that they may live. So I prophesied and he, as he commanded me and breath, ruach, entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. And here's the end. Then he said to me, son of man. So now he's interpreting this whole vision for him. Ezekiel, this is what this means. Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, will, then you my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit. That word is just another form of the word ruach. It's ruhi. But it's just another form, and it's the, the genitive, if you will, for those of you who are into language. It's the possessive. It's my spirit. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. So we need to understand this. This is the Old Testament. We need to understand this interaction with the, the breath of God, the spirit of God, as we move into the New Testament. Because this is the kind of thing, this is the prophecy that Jesus ends up fulfilling when he sends the Holy Spirit. 
So John, he starts to talk about this. The Gospel of John records Jesus talking about the coming Holy Spirit, the Ruach, the Pneuma in the Greek. John 14, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Pneuma of truth, the Spirit, wind, breath, the Spirit of God, the the Pneuma. All this I have spoken while I was still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit... The Numa, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, the Spirit is coming. You remember Ezekiel said that I will put my Spirit in you. That Spirit, he's coming. It won't be long. I'm going to leave this world. I'm going to ascend to the Father, but you won't be left alone. The Spirit of God is going to come. The Numa. And I think this is so interesting when you look at Jesus dying on the cross. When you look at this one moment in three different Gospels. Mark 15, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You know that curtain that separated the the most holy place from the holy place, that was the thing that was separating God from the people, right? No one could go beyond that curtain. Only the high priest could go beyond it once a year. And it was in the moment that Jesus gave up his breath that the curtain is torn. I think it's significant that it's in that moment. What's the message that we're supposed to get from that? Like, that curtain could have ripped at any point, but it didn't rip until he gave up his breath. Let's read another version of it in Matthew 27. It says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So he he breathes out the breath of God. He, He releases his spirit. He releases the Holy Spirit. He lets it go. At his death. And that's the moment that we're no longer separated from the Father. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's because Jesus gave it up. He gave up that breath. He gave up the pneuma, the breath, the wind of God. He, he released his last breath. I like how Luke puts it all together. In chapter 23, he says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. There it is again. The same language from Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, he said, prophesy to them and tell them, I will put my spirit in them. Jesus quotes this psalm and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's releasing the spirit of God. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And we know he dies. He's raised from the dead. He has the spirit of God on him. He meets the disciples in the upper room. And here's what he does, John 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus, this is the resurrected Jesus, he came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why he breathed on them? This is why. There's this whole tradition in the Old Testament that the breath of God is the wind of God, is the spirit of God. So Jesus on the cross breathes his last. He goes into the grave. He raises from the dead. He has the Holy Spirit in him, on him. He breathes on his disciples and releases the Holy Spirit to them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, breathe in, disciples, what I just breathed out. The breath of God. Receive inside of you the Holy Spirit. And then something totally radical happens 
a few weeks later at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Remember, breath, wind, spirit. Now this comes not as a breath. See, initially when Jesus releases the spirit to his disciples, he releases the spirit as a breath. But this time the spirit comes differently. This time the spirit comes as a violent wind. The blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, some of them, they were in that upper room. They already had the Holy Spirit. Now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit in them. But in this moment, the Spirit takes over every room in their house. Every room in their soul. Completely filled with the Spirit. All of them were filled with the pneuma and began to speak in other tongues as the pneuma, the Spirit, the wind, the breath enabled them. This is the oxygen, guys, that we need to keep the fire going in our life. To keep the spiritual fire going, we absolutely have to have connection and relationship with and interaction with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the oxygen for the fire. Now, the Holy Spirit within me is like the breath of God. And the breath of God brings that fire back to life, right? The Holy Spirit in me is like that gentle breathing on the coals that ignites those embers again. The breath of God, when the Holy Spirit is acting like the breath of God, these are the kind of things that happen. It's gentle, it's comforting, it's encouraging, it's reminding. When the Holy Spirit is functioning as the breath of God in our life, we get convicted of sin. We get encouraged. We get comforted. There's a gentleness to the Spirit. The, the New Testament calls the Spirit the paraclete, the one who comes along beside. Like we need the breath of God. We need the Holy Spirit to act like the breath of God, that gentle, comforting presence for us. And we see him acting that way in John 20. Jesus breathes. But there's another way that the Holy Spirit comes and acts. And that's when the Holy Spirit is upon me. That's the wind of God. That's what we saw in Acts 2. Do you know that we, when we say that there's wind, we say the wind, I felt the wind upon my face. Wind is external. The wind filled the room that they were in in Acts 2. The wind is an external force. Breath is an internal force. Wind is an external thing. We feel the wind upon our face. This is the Holy Spirit upon us, which functions and acts differently than the Spirit in us. Same Spirit. He's just showing up differently. When the Holy Spirit is upon me, that's the wind of God. And this is the wind of God spreads the fire. When there's a forest fire, they give weather reports. And you know what they talk about? They talk about whether it's going to rain. And what else do they talk about? The wind. Why? Because it's the wind that blows the wildfire. It's the wind that makes it contagious. It's the wind that takes a fire, a forest fire, and spreads it to the rest of the forest. The wind of God does that. And so we use words like powerful, disruptive, engulfing, contagious. This is the spirit acting as wind in our life. When, when we're operating in power, when it's a disruptive thing, when it's an engulfing thing, a contagious thing, when it's a forest fire kind of thing happening, that's the spirit upon me. So how do we cultivate this? Well, the Holy Spirit within me, the breath of God, 
What this requires in our life, if we want to keep that fire going, here's what it means. It means cultivating intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is going to be strange for a lot of people because if you grew up in an evangelical church, you were not told to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maybe if you grew up in a charismatic church, you were. But like Orthodox churches and Roman Catholic churches, you know how they end their prayer? They don't end their prayer in Jesus' name. Did you know that? Maybe you've never prayed around a Catholic or something. I don't know. Usually it's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Catholics and Orthodox are very focused on Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three. They like all three to be there in their prayer. If you grew up in an evangelical church, you probably were just good with Jesus. Hey, in Jesus' name, he's good enough. It accompanies all of them. Jesus, yeah. We may start our prayer to the Father, but we're going to end with Jesus. I'm not sure where the Holy Spirit was in the whole mix. But this is really important for us to cultivate not just a relationship with the Father and not just a relationship with Jesus, but with the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want to say on Father's Day. You know how we talk about if you've had a broken relationship with your father, engaging with God the Father can be difficult? Like, that makes sense, right? If, if, you've, if you've had some trouble with your earthly father, it's going to be difficult for you to engage with heavenly father sometimes. Do you know the same is true with the Holy Spirit? It's just about your mom. If you had a rough relationship with your mom, if she was erratic emotionally, if you couldn't trust her to be stable, guess how you're going to view the Holy Spirit? You're going to view the Holy Spirit as erratic, unstable. I can't trust what the Holy Spirit does. I especially can't trust those charismatics who are crazy. I'm going to stay away from that. So much of our relationship with Heavenly Father is impacted by our relationship with Earthly Father. So much of our relationship with the Holy Spirit is impacted by the way we view our own mother. And so sometimes, in order to cultivate intimacy with the Holy Spirit, it's going to start with you reconciling some of those things with your own mom. It's going to start with you forgiving your mom for maybe not being all that she needed to be. We also need to learn how to hear the voice of the Spirit. So engaging with the Spirit means sitting quietly in prayer and not just saying things to God, but actually listening for the Spirit to speak to us. In John, Jesus says that the sheep, that I am the good shepherd and the sheep will know my voice. And so that's what we're cultivating in prayer, not just praying to God, but listening to the Holy Spirit speak to us in prayer. And breath becomes incarnate. It takes on flesh through words. You guys remember at creation, what, what started? It was the ruach of God, the breath of God, the wind of God was hovering over the waters. Do you know what happened next? What happened next? Somebody say it. God spoke. So first there was breath, but what happened next? Words. Words are when breath becomes incarnate. Words are when the breath of God takes on flesh. They become more substantive. It's a first initial kind of incarnation. So we hear the word of God. We hear the breath of God. We, we hear the Holy Spirit speak to us. And when I speak a word of encouragement to someone, it's more than me just breathing on them, right? If I just walk up to them and are like, ah, right? They might not appreciate that. But if I walk up to them and say a word of encouragement, it's more tangible, right? It's more tangible, it's incarnate. It takes on flesh. It, it has power to it. In fact, 
Proverbs says, Proverbs 18 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. In other words, your words carry a weight to them. Your words carry a power to them. Why is that? Because what happens is the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, when he speaks through us, can carry power because there's an incarnation that's happening in that moment. All right, let's move on to this one. The Holy Spirit upon me is the wind of God. And this one might be more new to a lot of us. And that is when we're cultivating the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if we want that fire inside of us to continue to blaze, we want to cultivate the breath of God inside of us, but we also want to cultivate the wind of God around us. The breath of God, not just in us, but the wind of God upon us. And this is when we start to cultivate the gifts of the Spirit, because the gifts actually move in power beyond us. They don't just stay inside of us like breath does. They move like wind to other people, and they impact the lives of other people. So if we want to impact the lives of other people, it requires that we start cultivating the gifts of the Spirit in our life, which means that we invite the gifts, right? Holy Spirit, Ruach, come. Fill me with your gifts. Increase the gifts. I want to practice the gifts of the Spirit. I want to engage in the gifts of the Spirit. I don't want the Spirit of God to just be in me. I want the Spirit of God to affect the world around me. In order for the Spirit of God to do more than just affect me, I need it to be wind and not just breath. Or it never gets beyond me. And I need to learn how to operate as a conduit of the power of God. So you were meant to have the very power of God flowing through you like a live electrical wire. You were meant to be a conduit of the power of the Holy Spirit. That power wasn't meant to just stop with you. It was meant to go through you to other people, to impact the lives of the people around you. So it's another incarnation, basically. We have to practice how to catch this wind. It's like putting up sails. A sailboat is awesome, but if it has no sails, it doesn't matter how much the wind is blowing. We as Followers of Jesus have to learn how to put up the sails, catch the wind. How is the Spirit moving right now in this situation? You're talking to someone in your family. You're talking to someone at work. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're picking up how the wind is blowing in that moment, and you're putting up your sails so you can catch it and flow with the power of God. This is what you were meant for. The Holy Spirit in you wasn't given to you just for you. The Holy Spirit in you was given to you for the people around you also, which means Learning how to flow with the power of God so that it impacts the people around you. Here's the second incarnation. The breath of God, what happened in creation? First it started as the breath of God. God spoke and then what happened? Tangible reality showed up. That's Genesis chapter 1. This is the second part. The word became flesh. This is what we see with Jesus. Jesus was the word and then he became flesh. He became the flesh who dwelled among us. And so it starts as breath, then becomes word, then becomes flesh. So the wind of God is what makes the Holy Spirit tangible, not just to us, but to the people around us. You can feel wind on your face. Like if I'm talking to Bryce and he, you know, he's breathing, that's awesome. That has no effect on me, except for if he stops breathing and I might have to do CPR. That's awesome that he has the breath of God. But if he has the wind of God, I am feeling that wind. The wind of God is now blowing into my life and affecting me, affecting your neighbors, affecting your coworkers, affecting your family. This is where the Spirit operates as wind and not just as breath. 
We need both, guys. We need the Holy Spirit within us as the breath, and we need the Holy Spirit upon us as the wind. We see this in John 3. Jesus kind of dabbles with playing with both of these ideas. Jesus answered Nicodemus when he came to him at night and said, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind, but he he uses the word pneuma there. He uses the word spirit. Again, he's saying, you must be born of the spirit. And know that the pneuma, the wind, the breath, the spirit of God blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. He's saying everyone born of the spirit will start looking like wind. Everyone who has the breath of God in them will start moving with the wind of God around them. Last week, myself and another member of the prayer team, there was a girl that came and asked for prayer, not a part of this community. And she said that for six months, she, she kind of rejected God and turned away from God, was angry at God. And then she turned around and she tried to reconnect with God and she couldn't do it. She couldn't feel his presence. It felt like God was a million miles away. Have you ever felt that feeling? She didn't know how to break through. She was doing all that she knew to do. She was like spending time with God and she was going to church and she was doing the things that we would tell her to do, right? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And she had checked all the boxes, but she still wasn't reconnecting with the Lord. So she drove up for prayer. She lives like an hour, more than an hour away. And something amazing happened. As we sat with her, praying for her, and she processed through some of that, that anger that she had with the Lord, and all of a sudden, it felt like, the only way I can describe it is it felt like the love of the Father entered the room. And my prayer partner was crying, and this girl we were praying for started crying, and I'm a little slow, so I'm like, I wonder what's happening And then all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, what is that? And then I start crying. And it's not because anyone's sad. No one's sad. I suddenly felt what they felt. You know, they were a little ahead of me. I suddenly felt what they felt, which was, oh, my gosh, the love of the Father. Like, this is, this is heavy and overwhelming and incredible. And it's like in the room, the room began to be saturated with the love of the Father. And she was feeling the love of the Father like she had never felt before in six months Six months of just feeling completely detached from the Father, and in one moment, all of it was broken. All of the disconnection, all of the heartbreak, all of it severed, set free, wall torn down, and she's now intimately connecting with God the Father, who is just loving, pouring out his love on her. And what comes out of her mouth next is really telling. For the next five minutes, she just spends it in confession, out loud unprompted by me and this person we were, who we were praying for. Out loud, she just starts going, oh, God, Father. See, it's his kindness that leads us to, compact, to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And she starts feeling the kindness of the love of the Father, and it's broken through all of her defenses and all of her walls. It came breaking through, and she starts confessing and saying, God, I'm so sorry for this, and I'm so sorry for this, and I'm sorry for pushing you away, and I'm sorry for saying this about you that's not true, and I'm sorry for And she just goes on for five minutes, unprompted, total repentance, surrendered to the Father because of his love. Guys, I'm telling you, that moment doesn't happen because of the breath of God. 
It happens because of the wind of God. It was the wind of God in the room that ushered in the love of the Father, that poured out on her, that completely demolished all of her defenses. We absolutely need the wind of God, not just the breath of God. We need the wind of God moving in power through us. Not for us. Not for us. But for the world. For the world that's longing to connect with the Father. They just don't know how to get there. And they'll get there because of the wind of God moving through you. The power of God moving through you. The love of God moving through you. We need both. If we want a fire inside of us, we must cultivate our connection to the breath of God. And that's where it starts, guys. It starts with the breath of God. It starts with intimacy with the Holy Spirit. So here's some questions for you as the worship team comes back up. Are we learning to hear the voice of the Spirit? Are we cultivating intimacy with the Spirit? Are we breathing in what Jesus breathed out? And this happens in that alone time with the Lord. This happens in that worship time with the Lord. This happens when you're reading your scripture and praying the prayer and you're just spending that alone time with the Lord. That's where this intimacy with the Holy Spirit starts coming in. And just like you can pray to the Father and just like you can pray to Jesus, you can talk to the Holy Spirit and invite him to come and draw near to you and breathe his breath into you. And if we want the fire to spread beyond us, we must learn to catch and release the wind of God. The fire isn't meant just to stay with us, but to spread to the people around us. And this is where the wind of God comes in. So are we pursuing the gifts of the Spirit? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to pour out his gifts on you so that you can use them for God's glory? Are we open to the move of the Spirit? Are we open to letting wind act like wind and not like breath? This morning is a prayer Sunday. And if that's something you need prayer for, the the prayer team is going to be down the hall in the sanctuary. We would be happy to pray with you to stir up the fire of God in you, to pray for that wind of God, that breath of God to pour out on you. If you have any need whatsoever, physical need, emotional, spiritual, you're invited to go and receive prayer. And of course, as always, if you have questions, you can text them into that number. Could you all just stand as we close here? Let's just take a posture, a receiving posture, a posture of openness. If you could just put your hands out in front of you just as a a physical representation of your heart being open to the Lord. And for some of us this morning, we need to reconnect with the breath of God, that intimacy with God, that closeness of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, just invite the breath of God to come and breathe in you again. If you don't know what to pray, you could just pray something like this. Holy Spirit, come breathe in me again. Rekindle the fire inside of me. Holy Spirit, I want to know your voice. I want to know when you're speaking to me. I want to draw close to you. And for others of us in the room, we, 
We have that breath of God. We need the wind of God. We need the wind of God flowing powerfully upon us and through us. So if you don't know what to pray, just pray something like this. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and take over. I invite you into every room in my house to fill me completely. Wind of God, would you move powerfully through me? I need your gifts. I need your strength. I need your power. I need your love. I can't do it on my own. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to disrupt my life. In Jesus' name. And God, I just pray for every person that prayed those prayers, Lord, that you would just move in power. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and just move powerfully in people's lives, even now. Lord, that you would fill people with your spirit, that you would fill us to overflow, that the, the, that the fire of the Lord would not stop with us, but that it would spread like a forest fire to the people around us. Lord, that you would move so powerfully, God, that you would be the wind of God at our back, that you'd be the wind of God on our face. That other people, Father, would know how much you love them. That they would encounter you. In Jesus' name. Amen.